0: A watcher, part of a secret society of men and women who observe and record, but never interfere. No time for us. Yep, I'm back. All right, I know some people are thinking we wish he'd have just kept his damn mouth shut and never come back, but oh well. Sorry. If you want to listen I hope you stick around and enjoy what I've got to talk about today if you don't well I'll, I'll miss you uh, somebody who like to drop in every once in a while and listen to see what's going on with me um, the first thing why have I been gone for so long it really comes down to a couple main things the first which is my vocal cords some time back I actually burned them by drinking too many acidic drinks too much acidic food and a few other things and they actually told me to try not to speak as much as possible So for a lot of people, I know they're going, oh, my God, that is so cool. He actually had to shut up. And for others, they're probably going to think, well, we'll look forward to you when you're able to finally get back. And we'll just hang out till then. But I am back. Um, The other thing, well, it's a matter of health. But what was going on is I have had back problems for many years now. But uh, about a year or I guess about two years ago, they really kind of came to a head. And they really just got worse. I was out, you know, we were doing disc golf, and all of a sudden, man, the pain going down my legs was horrible. I had trouble walking. The guys were kind of helpful. They were trying to say, well, maybe you're not getting enough potassium. I mean, every everybody is suddenly a doctor when they hear you've got some kind of issue going on and you're in pain. And, oh, my God, they know what's going on, or they know somebody who knows somebody who knows what's going on. They've watched a video somewhere, and they've got an idea of what's going on. Or somebody in their family is a doctor it happens every time you can't avoid it I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about because that uncle's best friends cousins next-door neighbors best friend's roommate is a doctor and knew somebody who had something similar to this and therefore it's obviously the same thing well what it came down to me was um, some spine issues that have been getting worse and worse and worse and so back in 2018 i did three different rounds of spinal injections the first two held for a, several months the last one literally just held for 2 weeks and these are things that you can't just do over and over and over again every time you get a spinal injection it the steroids that injects into the vertebrae and the discs that actually hardens those discs up a little bit more each time, and they're a little bit less effective with each attempt. And we had done three in one year, and that's the limit. So it's like, okay, it's time for surgery. Let's take a look at all the problems in your back, and let's go for it. Ladies and gentlemen, there is such a thing called insurance. I understand now why people who are wealthy, uh, athletes, movie stars, whatever else, they hear that something's wrong. Let's schedule surgery. Boom, next Tuesday they're doing surgery, starting things up. It's because they've got money and don't need to rely on insurance companies. Then there's people like me. Insurance companies are a must-have. And that's what I was faced with, was having to come in here and deal with an insurance company. We said we want to do this, this, and this. The insurance company sure came along said, Sure, we got your request. No, no, and maybe, but only after you do this, this, and this. So there was more tests, and the crazy thing of all, I had to go see a psychiatrist. People are out there going, yay, finally we got this guy into a head shrink. But it wasn't for that. They called this, it was a cognitive behavioral therapy. Basically, they have to take a look at, have you done anything in your lifestyle to change? Have you done anything in your lifestyle to make it easier on your back? So I told them how my weight used to be, what my weight currently is, what my level of activity used to be, what it is now. The fact that I've dropped about 50, 60 pounds. The fact that I now go to the gym two or three times a week working on basic cardio working on strength and doing different things the psychiatrist that first session says okay i agree you have done what it takes to meet the basic requirement you have improved your basic physical structure of your body therefore we're improving we're going to, I'm going to improve this part but then we still had to have our three sessions and during these sessions we talked about what to expect from surgery what to expect during the recovery he gave me lots of good information now Those visits I actually kind of liked. They were very calming. He didn't know the full procedure, but he told me questions to ask so I would be better informed. I would know what was going on the surgery. I would would know what to expect of my recovery in in the hospital and at home and how long I was going to be gone away from work. So there was a lot involved, and these sessions with the psychiatrist actually really helped quite a bit. But still, insurance would not allow... Until this had been done so we had that done we did additional diagnostic tests I had something done called a myelogram and I discovered that some now I know this little radiology tech thought she was doing due diligence but when a doctor sends orders down and a doctor has been doing this for you many years and says I want this kind of test it's a myelogram. I get in there ready to do it and she goes is your doctor sure he wants this Are is he sure he doesn't want the highly superior MRI? I was like, well, he's a spine doctor. He's been doing this for many years. I think he knows the test. So this is what he wants. Well, I think I'm going to call him and just verify that he doesn't want the highly superior MRI called him where he was in surgery they had to get him away from surgery for a few minutes to answer the twist. at which point he said yes i want the myogram do the myogram i've been at this point been waiting 35 40 minutes you know before we can get in there do this thing okay fine she gets in there starts doing what's supposed to be her job about an hour later i understood why she asked to do something different it's because she had no clue how to do her job she botched the whole thing she was digging in my back for about an hour she never got the dye ejected into the spine, but what she did do was jam the needle into the nerves that run down both legs. Well, after an hour, she gave up. The, enti- the anesthesia they gave me, basically was basically you know, a little local thing called lim- lidocaine, had completely worn off. And I asked her about this. She said, oh, yeah, that should have worn off by now. So I'm going, yeah, no kidding, it did. When it came time to walk out of there, I could barely walk. I, I was using a cane for the next two weeks just to walk again. And the best part was I still had to get the test done so a week later I went back to a different facility boom 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 test done took no time at all and I had to sit there and just take the rest of the day off from work because the the way this test has some has some side effects but yeah still it's like man it's it's crazy you follow what the doctors need and they send you to text that you simply hope know their jobs and that was, that was frustrating as hell for me. We submitted all the new paperwork. Insurance comes back. Well, we see what you're wanting to do, but we think you're wanting to do too much, so we want you to limit it back. And they wanted to do simply multiple levels of the vertebrae in my back. Right? It was a spinal fusion. And they wanted to do multiple ve- levels because I had multiple problems. Insurance came back and said, no, we're not going to let you. Pick one. This is a lot of fun because when you're doing this, when you're doing a spinal fusion for, you know, c- nerves that have been compressed, you have to decide which one is going to possibly be the best job. If you pick the wrong one, you're going to go back and you do it all over again. Now, this may sound like not a big thing, but for me, it was a six-hour surgery. It was eight weeks—I'm sorry—it was six weeks of recovery. Just before I could start physical therapy, a full eight weeks off from work. So, I mean, this was a long recovery. I've never had anything done like this before, and it was really big for me. But the thing is, for me, this was something that I really wanted. I really, it's like, I know you're thinking you really wanted a six-hour surgery. You really wanted them to cut into you, force your spine apart, put a spacer in between, the uh, remove the existing disc or what was left of it, stick a spacer in there, Put titanium screws into your back to hold it in this new position. Wear a back brace for a few months all to do this. And the answer is yes. And that's going to tie into something a little bit later because for me, this became something big. This became the one thing that I have focused on for about the last year of my life. You know, it's like just, it's one of these things like, oh, I'm having trouble doing this this activity. But if I could just get this one thing, everything is going to be better. If I could just get this, everything is going to be better. I can do this if I just get this one thing done. That sounds a little crazy for all that's going on, but it's going to tie into my usual format here. Because anybody who's listened in before knows that, you know, I like to have a quick little introduction. And then I like to talk about the Twilight Zone today I'm going to add in a book a book review and along with some other works by this particular author and then we'll kind of wrap it up the thing is all this spine surgery really applies to the Twilight Zone we're going to talk about today now for the Twilight Zone it's time to sit there and go ahead and l- let Mr. Serling come along and introduce us to our normal show so Rod take it away You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. For this particular episode of the Twilight Zone, we're going to travel back 58 years ago in time. October thirteenth, nineteen sixty-one, was the first broadcast of a game of pool. This would be one of the multiple episodes that would star only two actors in their role: Jack Klugman, who would make several appearances, and also Jonathan Winters. In this particular role, Jack Klugman has a, is a character, and he—he's a pool shark. He is—he loves the game of pool. He practices it day and night. Everything he gives is for the pool. He sacrifices time with friends all for the game. He sacrifices time with everybody else all for the game. Everything he does, he practices. He shoots. He competes. Everything he does is for the game. He knows everything about how to do this. But he is not one thing. He's not the champion. The man who's the champion, the well-respected man played by Jonathan Winters, died and because of this jack lugman can never be the champion pool player and he makes that one wish if i could just have one game against him just one game i know i could beat him and then i could prove it that i'm the best of all time and he makes that wish and all of a sudden we go up into the afterlife world where there jonathan winters is playing pool up there on the cloud Twilight Zone likes to represent heaven that way and his name is called and he's told where to report to and next thing you know we're back there in that little pool room middle of the night and there's Jack Klugman once again whining about wanting to be the best when the lights challenge and there he is the ghost of the man he wants to beat more than anything else in the world that one thing he wants so much He doesn't care about the cost. He doesn't care about the price. It is going to be that one thing. He wants to beat this man. And that's what he's there for, is to play the game. And they pick their game, and they play it, and they play for hours. And it finally comes back down to it. And all of a sudden, there it is. The shot's lined up. With one shot, Klugman can get his dreams. He can get everything he wants, that one thing. Winters stops and says he gives him a warning he goes about how his life would change because of this and he goes up oh, I'm sorry I had to tell you that I'm required to tell you this before you make your shot Klugman makes a shot and he wins he has beaten the best he is now the best there ever was you almost see a look of relief in Jonathan Winters eyes and he gets ready to leave puts on his coat and disappears back into the shadows and there's there's Jack Klugman celebrating on the pool table. He's it. He's the best. He got that one wish, the one wish he wants more than anything else in this world. He didn't care about the consequences. He didn't care about anything else. And then we go back to the afterlife. There he is laying over that same, that same pool table that Jonathan Winters was earlier. He's sleeping. There's a voice calling for him, telling him where to report to. And now it's his turn to go off and defend his title for all eternity that wasn't what he wanted it's one of those things as you go into life you have a dream a goal a desire And you think, if I can just get this one thing, I I just need one thing more, just one thing, I can be happy. If I can just have this one thing, then I'll have the perfect life. I'll have the perfect wife. I'll have the perfect children. If I can just have this one thing. But what will that cost you? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? So this last year, it's been this this. This one episode has played on my mind a lot, and I've actually wanted to do this podcast so many times, but I haven't, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier was my back being in so much pain to sit here and talk and try to move around a little bit, and every little move would bring around new bouts of pain that would require me to stop for five, ten minutes or you would suddenly hear me cry out in pain. Okay, let's go back over the microphone. We're going to re-edit that out, so they don't have to hear that. I just sounded like I had was, you know, was, was hit over the head with something. Let's face it; I've been a little bit. The pain, the way it goes on, it's a little embarrassing. You become that person that says, "Hey, we're going out here tonight. Do you want to come?" Sorry, guys, I can't my back hurts too much hey you want to go over here and do this oh I'm sorry that's a lot of steps and my back can't handle it maybe next time and more you you become that person that people are gonna think that every little thing they ask you to do anything that's wanted of you desired of you to help with this oh no he's going to say no because, hey, has got back problems. And it's like you're sort of avoiding social issues. When you go to them, you walk in slowly. You limp. You use a cane. You get to that chair, and you have to shut. You, you set yourself down so carefully make sure you don't hurt. Oh, it's time to get up and get another drink. Well, can you get it for me? My back hurts. And then when you do try to do something for yourself, they're used to hearing it. And they go, oh, no, no. We'll get it for you because, say it with me, your back hurts. And this all adds up. I mean, you don't realize how pain, chronic pain, becomes something that leads to depression so much. Over the last year, I feel like I've been fighting depression. I've been fighting being social. I've been fighting doing so many things because everything I want to do leads to more pain. Everything I wanted to do has just been hard to deal with. You know, I've, I've also got a bad knee. So the bad knee and the bad back work together to put me in just ungodly pain. You know, ha- have trouble sleeping at night. Go somewhere I could walk this far. Got to take a break. I got to take a break because that's right. My back hurts. And you suddenly realize you're living your life due to chronic pain. Now, I'm one of the fortunate ones where my chronic pain was not up to the level that I had to turn to some of the really hardcore drugs. I mean, there's always opiates and you may be able to say, oh, you can only get those through a prescription, which explains why there's a whole lot of opiate addicts in the world who are getting them on the black market. Uh, anything else, you know, I mean, I've, the job I've got is has got really high safety standards, I have been terrified this last year that because of my back pain and my my complaining about it, I was going to be pulled aside for a drug test because they were afraid of what illegal substance was I using to help deal with my back pain because truthfully, I have no idea, you know, what levels I might have gone to. And there are people who are in worse pain than me, who've got more problems than me, and they use opiates for whatever reason they use other illegal drugs to sit there and help take the edge off their pain and when I say take the edge off their pain I mean be able to sleep for at least two to three hours at a time instead of whatever else they can do so I mean chronic pain leading to depression leading to illegal drug use oh hell yeah I'm one of the lucky ones that it didn't take me there but I'm also gonna tell you the truth There's more than a damn few times that I thought about it. And I I was nervous. I was going to reach out for it. So, yeah, getting this surgery, that was my one thing. If I can just have that surgery, then everything's going to be better. Well, like I said, um, uh, since the surgery, which was eight weeks ago, I have um, not been able to do a whole lot. My life has been Sitting at home, I wasn't allowed to drive a car until I could walk a mile, and that was a mile at, in one shot. And you know, I I, so I couldn't drive myself anywhere. My lip my for the longest time I had a weight limit of ten pounds. I could not pick up anything that's more than ten pounds. I can't push anything that has more than ten pounds or it's a ten pound dead weight push. So if it's on wheels, I can get away with that because my spine can't take it. My, they have to let the spine heal up, and our I was recently upgraded to 15 pounds. I still wear this back brace. They just took the, the larger pad they just took the larger pad off the back. And so I mean, I'm still limited. I'm still not back to where I want to be. I still have tr- trouble driving long distances because it hurts. Talk about hurt when I first got out of the hospital. Bumps in the road were just not I, it just uh, it, it, was, um, it was my own little hell. So those first, those first few weeks home, boy, opiates were my good friend. And I don't deny it that I was able to fortunately get off of them before the damage is too bad. When I did finally get off of them, I I'd been down to about one a day for uh, about a week or so. And even then the withdrawal took me almost three days. And during that, that, that short withdrawal, I, I thought so much about, it. okay, I just one more, I just one more, and it'll be fine. i will help me get through this period, just one more. So, yeah, it was damn close for anything that could have happened, for how it goes and how to work through it. But I made it, and that's my one thing that I really have wanted. I've waited a year for it, and now I've got all these limits on what I can do. So I'm still at the point of saying, I can't do that yet. I just had back surgery sorry I can't lift that just had back surgery oh you need help moving and you've helped me move three times sorry can't help I just had back surgery and I can only lift 15 pounds so yeah there it is all over again it's like you know and and though I was I finally started therapy they wouldn't I didn't get to start therapy for six weeks Because of the surgery and how it cuts through abdominal muscles, they have to let the the abdomen heal up before they can start that. And so I'm just now starting surgery. I mean, sorry, I'm just now starting therapy, and moving forward in that, and so I'll be able to move forward and start building up the ability to do weights. When I go to the gym, I can get on a treadmill. I can do the bike for the you know anything that's you know aerobic. I can, I can walk in the pool. That's one of the best things because that really gives me something to push against for the whole body. Because when I get to the weight room, it's like, okay, let's see. Last time I did this, I was doing 140 pounds. Let's set it to 15. Because this is one of those crazy things. You may think I'm lifting with my arms. But you all remember those crazy songs about the hip bones connected to this and that and every other damn thing. Well, it's the exact same thing. Those shoulders are connected to the spine, which connects down to where that work was done, and I can't jar that part of my back. So I am limited in every part of my life, and I probably will be for several more months. I ride a motorcycle. Every day I look at it and don't get on it because they said wait at least four months after surgery before doing it, maybe even longer. By the way, that back brace you've got, you might want to wear that when you first get on there just to help out. And if the pain's too much, you'll need to consider selling your bike. So there it is again. I mean, and I was told that part that I may need to consider selling the bike. Back by people when we were first going through all this. They said depending on how bad the damage is, depending on how how much more work we're going to have to work on your bike, you need to be ready to face the fact you're going to have to sell it. My manager that I had down here for several years, he's gone through some surgeries, and he's talked about that, that he's going to have to sell his bike. And this guy has ridden a few hundred thousand miles on a Harley doing different things. And hearing him say he's going to sell it, it, you'd think they're ripping part of his soul away. So it's a difficult thing to face. But just just like... you know, Jack you Klickman's know, character in the Twilight Zone, his name is Jesse. Just like Jesse, you know, I had the choice. Do I go for this one thing or not? I, the one luxury I had was I knew the cost. I knew the cost up front. Jesse didn't. So here's your life lesson, folks. When you're facing anything out there and you think I've got this one thing, just this one thing to make my life complete, one thing to make my home complete, one thing to make my job complete. What will it cost you? What will happen to you if this happens? Then take it, take that information, and decide if it's worth it. If it's worth it, go for it with everything you've got. Accept the cost. And be happy with it. That's what I had to do. I had to understand the cost. I had to understand what it was going to limit me to. Time. Forever. And be good with it. I will never... I will never be able to do a lot of things other people can do. Um, Rumming. Yeah, probably never going to happen. Because I can't take the pounding. Um, what else? Um, the motorcycle is still... Motorcycle is something I'll find out in a few months if I can continue to do it or not. Skydiving? Probably not. The back can't take that kind of jarring going forward. And I'm always going to have to remember those limitations I now have. My choice? Stay in pain. Stay up with that chronic pain. And so I'm sticking with what I chose. To take an action, even though it was difficult, to get out of pain. Jesse, Jack Lugman, in that game of pool, he didn't find out what the cost was. He had the opportunity. Before he made that last shot, Jonathan Winter's character let him know that there was a price and it was his choice to find out more and, if so, to not go for it, to let to give up on what he wanted. And you could see the relief in his eyes when Jack Klickman's character Jesse made that final ball and took the crown and relieved him of his title. And in the end credits, Rods, you know, the good old Rod, he would talk about that. What's going what's on with him? He's now enjoying that fishing hole over there in heaven. And relaxing for the first time thanks for the talk listen stopping by for the Twilight Zone listening to our story about a game of pool how it applies to life and how you might want to consider applying it to your own so Rod let's go ahead and leave on out of here now and continuing on this is something I would like to start doing That's a bit new for me uh, movie and book reviews now my first thought is people are go oh my god books you I mean those things you have to read you know I've worked with people I've got a manager he thinks that reading is boring he would rather only watch the movie I've known others who felt that reading wasn't worth their time as their time is more valuable than this and why read a book when you can watch the movie in 90 minutes and get the same basic idea well, yeah, you, I can't kind of think you can tell my attitude on people like that. But I've had a chance to start doing some book reviews. I've got one I'm ready for today. And it's going to involve an author named F. Paul Wilson. But before that, I'd like to talk about a different one. First off, this is October, the season of Halloween and more. We've got John Carpenter. We've got all these different things. But for me, it's Stephen King. Years ago... You know, I would start reading the Stephen King books really around 1985. I hadn't had a chance to explore his books much before then. And so my first book was The Shining. And I read it in, yep, you've got it, October of 1985. I remember reading about the portion of the book when all the topiary was coming to life and the way they described the way it sounded, the branches, you know, scratching up against each other, making these noises. And on this particular night... The wind was blowing really hard. It was uh, was raining, a little bit of sleet coming down, and the tree outside my house was scratching on the windows, making the exact sounds that had been reflected in the book. You know, it just was really unnerving for what I was reading at that time. But it's one of those things that kind of helps get you hooked. And while The Shining was my first book, It was one of my early favorites of his. I love the way it was written and how they also brought it forward to the movies. Now I'm going to kind of give you a basic difference between the book and the movie. In the book we started off with the children of Derry and we were introduced to all six of the children. Then and it, we went and met them as adults and we were introduced to each one as an adult. We went back to the children, each one had their own chapter, then back to the adults and we would do this several different times. Because of the way they did this, Stephen King was a master at creating climaxes in his reading. Because he would sit there and reach a plateau with one character. And you go, oh my God, I can't wait to find out what happens next. Next chapter, next child. And he did the same thing with his child. And he went through all this. So we have got six climatic things that are going on. These cliffhangers. What's going to happen next? It's back to the child. Wait, now he's an adult now. 28 years later, and he does the same thing again for all these kids. So now we have got 12 different running storylines for each kid, each one having that plateau, that climatic point, that cliffhanger. What would happen next as he wove all this story together? Now, a lot of people did not like the ending of the book, and we're not going to talk about that, simply the fact they did not like the ending. So I've been really excited for the movies. Now, I did like the Tim Curry version several years ago, with a couple of exceptions. I, okay, I hated Richard Thomas as Stuttering Bill. thought miscast and the ponytail, just, just, no, stop, stop, stop. So I was really excited to see this version that came out with Bill Skarsgård. Love Tim Curry as Pennywise, and I love how Skarsgård studied Tim Curry and what he did so he could be sure not to repeat it. But I also liked how our first movie dealt entirely with the kids. So we didn't have all these different climatic points to deal with. You know, people have a hard time keeping that straight these days. And we just dealt with, here's what's going on, and we dealt to this first thing that happened 28 years ago. The second part was a fantastic bit. It kept the, the characters that just leapt out of the book pages for me as they were reported on screen. Eddie Kasprick was just such an amazing rendition. I've always liked Richie Tozer, and I thought that Bill Hader just nailed him on screen. Even Bill, with the way he was portrayed, no more Richard Thomas. The characters are all portrayed so much better. And the ending, Stephen King makes a cameo in this, and the running joke throughout this entire second movie is on nobody likes the author's books. They all have a weak ending. Even Stephen King, when he has his cameo, makes that comic because he's been given that criticism over those years that, Steve, love your books, hate the ending. So you know he got to get that jab back in himself. But the ending, the way it was handled, it was changed from the book. And the way it was changed was changed masterfully. For me, I thought they improved the ending. They took it from an ending that was very mental to one that could be really handled well on screen and shown perfectly and so it chapter 2 nailed it brought the story to a close and it had a couple things added into it that the book didn't have so for me this is one of the few times i think the movie truly took the concept of the book kept the book in mind took it to the ending and improved on it so that's my 6 minute review on you know it chapter 2 worth it worth buying it Worth seeing it twice in the theaters. Have a great time with it. By the way, I'm going to throw out a quick shout-out to the Alamo Draft House if you have one. They are great because they do not allow noise. They do not allow cell phones. When I went to see one movie recently, I saw somebody in front of me constantly had their cell phone out, texting the entire movie long. I could see their damn phone. They catch you doing that in the Alamo, you will be thrown out. You may not be allowed to come back. They have thrown out Madonna. serious. It happened. Because they mean it. So when you go to the movies at the Alamo Drafthouse, you can truly enjoy the movie experience as it was meant to be. Yes, they have popcorn. (laughs) And now let's get on to talk about F. Paul Wilson, The Keep, and Repairman Jack. F. Paul Wilson is a contemporary author. He was born in 1946 in Jersey City, New Jersey. He's written over 70 novels and stories, and he's had one character really dominate his storyline, something that happened kind of by accident. He started off doing some medical thrillers, and he's worked with at and along the way he wrote a couple of books that he would never really expected to become to move together the way they did. The first one is called The Tomb, and this is where our story of Repairman Jack was first introduced. The other one is called The Keep, and this is what we call the Adversary Cycle. And in the adversary cycle, the, the keep was this structure that backs into a cliff, a valley, a cliff, a valley, whatever, in World War II. Basically, it was a very strategic position where you could not attack from behind, could not attack from above, and therefore the Germans could defend this. It was over a very strategic pass, needed to happen. But something is killing the German soldiers off from inside, and they can't figure out what. So the Germans force this professor and his daughter to come and help them stop these killings. And, of course, the professor and his daughter are Jewish. So we have that whole bit going for us. And then the professor finds the entity and then teams up with him in an effort to kill the Germans. So the story goes back and forth through a great deal. But then we have this one other character that shows up, flaming red hair. And once our entity, whose name is Rasalam, is released from the keep, he is suddenly aware, and he travels to the keep to stop him. He can take a lot of damage. He, you know, he's, he's not invulnerable. He's not, he's not immortal, but he's damn hard to kill and he is out to stop Ras He's also an ancient person. As you read through and you find out what he is, and the one person that Rasalam is afraid of. These two will come to have this climatic fight between good and evil as the climax of the books is reached, and we move on from it. And I said so the book was fantastic. The movie was weird. It just, they, they, people decided, hey, we need to change it. We could do this and this and this we need to change what the character looks like and we're gonna make him look like this weird you know robotic you know creature that doesn't really fit in with anything else and instead of a sword we're gonna give him something you put on the end of a pole and it becomes a laser beam yeah cuz lasers oh my god I mean people just, we don't know what the hell happened here I think we think the drugs of the 80s really kicked in it just is one of those things that happens but we cure we created these characters and so the character of Russell Lama is our adversary. When you have a character that good, no matter what happened to him, you got to bring him back. And so we have the adversary cycle, which tells the story of him and how he comes back. Repairman Jack starts in the book called The Tomb, which is it's kind of part of both the adversary cycle as well as the first of the the Repairman Jack so let's talk about who and what repairman Jack is and then we're gonna to get to our book last Christmas Jack is a unusual character growing up he, he had a happy life he had a father he had a mother he had an older brother Tom who's a bit of a jerk and ass Whatever. you yeah he, okay let's let's go he he was that butthead yeah that was him he had an older sister that he loved his mother thought that she wasn't able to have any more children. She called Jack her miracle child. He was, very, you know, so he was several years older than his older brother and sister. And growing up, you no, know, he had idolized his mother. So much would go along. And one day, through an act of violence, of uncaring violence, his mother would be killed. This one incident would change Jack greatly and this happy young boy would uh, become a much darker personality and he you know fell into his own ways and he started to ter- building into this new character of repairman jack now the big thing about those days if you heard repairman so-and-so you think somebody you'd call up and fix your toaster this is somebody you call up and fix your oven whatever else you do because they're, they're your repairman this is not the kind of repairs that jacks does he while he does fixes they are fixes of situations fixes fixes that are often outside the law the law can't help and when you can't turn to the law you turn to somebody like jack he charges a lot of money and he fixes these situations he sets them up where they all may look like accidents he doesn't kill people well not unless he's forced to but he won't take he won't take an assignment as a murder he will fix situations one incident you know this this lady was being beaten by her husband and so you know they thought they would teach the husband a lesson you know, break his legs and that was the whole thing how Jack would set it up and just break the man's legs now to do all this Jack has to become invisible he has become somebody that doesn't exist he doesn't have a real social security number his driver's license is fake every bit of his identification for him or should we say several pieces of identification for him are all false his credit cards are in false names he pays all of his bills on time the man does not exist on paper he works to look so extremely incredibly average that you'll look at him and never notice he was there unless you're looking for him and he just becomes this character who fits in and takes on these assignments And it's always an assignment for money it's always an assignment that he's not going to become personally involved in but Jack has a conscience for some stupid reason and so of course he always becomes involved in what's going on and because of that some of his fixes turned out unique the assignment where he was gonna break the husband's legs it was it was the wife didn't hire him it was the brother-in-law who hired him I mean the let's get this straight the man two legs were getting broken his brother-in-law so the wife's you got it and the man was so mad the next day when the, the guy turned up dead I'm like, this is not what I hired you for. I'm so mad. And Jack was astonished. Like, no, no, I broke his legs like we talked about. What are you talking about? And basically, the wife discovered how much this man hated her, how he he tried to kill her himself and make it look like an accident. And while he was lying there helpless on the floor, legs broken and tied up, she took a knife to him in several grotesque places. She killed him. And they realize, okay, we need to get the wife some psychiatric help because she's going to have a lot of things to deal with going through in life. That's just like, so that's just one incident of a fix. Our first episode was called The Tomb. In this, Jack has to track down, it's, he has to find somebody and simply return a necklace. Sounds simple enough. But this one thing would lead him to meeting two people dealing with creatures called the Rakosh, dealing with something called the otherness and this otherness would impact the entire rest of the line of books for repairman jack in the end of the tomb the author left it very open would jack live or would jack die we'll leave it to the audience to decide what happens but there was such a clamoring for this character, such interest in Repairman Jack, that he wrote more novels. And in total here, we have got 28 novels that were written. See the Let's see. The Tomb came out in 1984. And our last one for Repairman Jack came out and was a 2013 short story. The real final end of the book was The Dark at the End, which came out in 2011. So you can do your math yourself there. That is almost 30 years of man Jack stories. The great thing about these, they're easy reads. The characters become familiar to you, so you get used to Jack, his girlfriend, Gina. His good friend, Abe. You know, Abe Isher of the Isher Sporting Goods Shop, who is Jack's, you know, if you're going to call him a mentor, a guide, the man who supplies him with all of his weaponry and man who supplies with information. You, know, you get used to these different people as you work through it, so it becomes a familiar world as you work through it. The books read e- e- very easily. Each chapter or section will be based on a day of the week. So you can read through each story at an easy pace. Once Wilson finished and told the entire story, he decided... I need to tell a few stories about young Jack, back when his mother and father were still alive. So let's go back and tell them. So we told three young Jack stories. And he's even talking about revisiting the character again. So who knows, Repairman Jack may come back to visit us again. And this is what's happening this year. The story is called Last Christmas. Last Christmas will fit in towards the end of our storyline for the the Repairman Jack series, so um, let's take a look at here. Really, closer to I guess I think it's between I think it is between recalled and fatal error. It's it's in this general area. The time for Jack is a very dark time. The his um, final fight with the adversary that started with the keep is coming out for the final battle. He's. They are gathering their group for what's going to happen. And we have a period of months. And like I said, these stories all take place within a short amount of time. Last Christmas will be this last Christmas before the dark at the end. In this, we have Jack get another, another thing to do. Some people want him to basically to find an item and return it. As Jack falls into the mystery, he discovers that the people that hired him basically lied to him, and that's a bad thing to do. He starts investigating them, finds out who they actually are, runs into more of the mystery. It's it, a lot of these books do remind me of the the Raymond Mar, the the Marlowe the Philip Marlowe series. Sorry about that, the Philip Marlowe series for the big sleep where in the big sleep you've got Marlowe is hired by this elderly man and he has a mystery for him and as part of this mystery he's going to travel all around town he's gonna meet all these different people he's going to encounter all the different situations before he finally unravels the mystery at the end so we have a lot of this happens with our Jack novels is he's always hired always somebody new He will travel a lot, encounter people he knows already, his, his current contacts, new people he has to deal with. Sometimes people from the past pop up to find who are looking for revenge with him that he gets to deal with, and he gets different situations. This story fits in beautifully into the rest of the series. If you're going to start reading the Repairman Jack series now, I would say make sure you fit this in to the correct order so you get the last Christmas before you get the dark at the end just so it's not one of those oh wait I meant to tell you about this one part the story is great we're gonna read into a man who needed to have money for his family and he allowed experimentation on him and because of that he is turning into something else a weapon others want to retrieve him at any cost for their, their own reasons, and they want to involve Jack and think they can get away with it and play him for a fool. Our characters are back th- from the previous series that we've loved. The pace is still the quick pace read. You're not going to have to inv- involve yourself in a whole lot of days reading this. So, uh, I guess, you know, maybe maybe six, seven, eight hours, depending on how fast you read. And we're going to wrap it up at the end, leading into our final battles for for Jack as he's gonna face off against the adversary. It's really hard to tell much more of this story without giving it away, and without telling more of Jack's character. We're going to involve characters, though, who we met in other short stories, and I've actually downloaded these elsewhere, so I can read these, and so. But we've got some additional characters from other stories that are part of other collections. And once again, other people that fit in that we think we're going to hate, By the end, we'll feel sorry for them. We'll be happy with how their end came about, which is one of the beauties about the Repairman Jack series, is we will meet people that we will have a changing emotion for. We're going to feel sorry for them at one point. We'll hate them at another. And then in their end, we may feel sorry for them all over again because we realize they're such a tragic character. Wilson is able to write our stories and keep these levels of emotion going he's able to write these stories with a level of interest he's able to write them with a pace that's easy to read the characters are great to remember they're gonna stick with you for ages and who knows we'll see if you decide that you want to become the next repairman Jack yourself so if you haven't read any of the series go back start with the tomb Go back to, if you want to find more, you can go back to the webpage www.repairmanjack.com and look them up on Wikipedia also for F. The first letter F is in Frank Paul Wilson. Check him out. I hope you have a good time. This is an author. I've got all the books for the Adversary Repairman Jack series and glad to have them on my shelf. Okay, we have been going at this for a while today. I really appreciate everybody sticking with me on this return. I've tried not to sit there and go way out of bounds and talk for too long. I know I've been going long enough. So thank you all for listening to me. I look forward to doing this again soon. Like I said, the, 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 the Watcher Chronicles, as always, inspired by the television series The Highlander. Specifically with the secret society of the watchers, if you 'd like to know more about them, contact me here on the this page i 'm doing this off the podbeam network i 'm copying everything over to Apple iTunes for those of you on Apple. I hope you 've enjoyed it if there 's anything you'd like to hear if there 's books, movies you would like to hear me talk about, get my reflection on, please do let me know for my attitude on movies. I review a bit differently instead of talking about are they worthy of an Oscar it is did I enjoy it did I enjoy the characters did I enjoy paying full price for it would I have preferred a matinee price would I have preferred to waited till it was on Netflix would I watch it a second time do I want those hours of my life back so that's the kind of thing I do on that you know so you're not gonna get a lot of you know thumbs up thumbs down or a lot of people trying to talk about how a certain character is portrayed according to the political structure of the current world. And, oh, my God, we have to do this and so we can sound all important in how smart we are. Yeah, I know you know that kind of person, too. As a matter of fact, one of you may be that kind of person listening to that, but the question is, do you know I'm talking about you? Hmm? Wait and find out later on. I'll be back soon. I'm, I'm going to try to get back to this and do it more often than I was before. I'm going to try to do this at least once a month and just to get back into it for the swing of me. But like I said, for me, going back to that game of pool, I had that one thing I wanted. I knew the cost. If you ask me right now today, was it worth it? Yes. If I have to give up riding the motorcycle, was it worth it? Yes. The reason why? Because I was at the point I was already having to give it up. I'd already given up so much. And right now, I'm trying to reclaim. So for me, there's no more losing. There's only gaining back. So in your world, in your life, as you're forced to that game of pool, decide that last ball. If you make it, you get your dream. Is it worth the cost? If it is, I hope you enjoy it. This is Cuthbert. Signing off. Y'all have a great tomorrow. As we leave the studio tonight, let's let one of those great bands, Queen, featured heavily in the Highlander, go ahead and sing a song out of here. Freddie, take it. Oh, you're gonna take me home tonight. Oh, Oh, you gonna let it all hang out Fat bottom girls, you make the rock